Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today, I just want to take a moment and thank the National Peanut Board for their kind sponsorship of today's show and for all of their support over the years. The thoughtful transition into food allergy self-management begins during the middle school and high school years. To help set the path for a smooth transition, we're sitting down to discuss how to mentally prepare your student for middle and high school with Emory Brown, FACS Director of Behavioral Health. Emory is also a nationally certified school psychologist with a Bachelor's of Science in Public Health with a concentration in health communication from the College of New Jersey. She also holds a Master's of Arts in School Psychology from Wilwyn University. Welcome back, Emory, to Facts Roundtable podcast. I am just absolutely delighted to have you back on the show today as we continue our school prep series. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. This is going to be another great day and another great podcast because you always give us extremely actionable information that we can listen to, take, and run with. So before we go too deep into our conversation today, can you share your personal experience with food allergies and working with students? Sure. So I was diagnosed with food allergies at six months old when my aunt dropped ice cream on my arm. I broke out in hives. I had already had an older sibling that had food allergies. So my parents took me to an allergist right away, knowing that I had food allergies myself. I am allergic to all dairy, fish, peanuts, and seeds. I also have outgrown an egg allergy and a shellfish allergy over the course of my life. So that's been a journey in and of itself. I've done the elementary school experience, the middle school experience, the high school experience, the college experience. So I've lived it all as a person living with food allergies. And now I'm back in the schools as I work as a school psychologist in addition to my responsibilities at FACT. I work with preschool to second grade students mostly. I also at times work at the upper elementary school, which is third to sixth grade students. In the past, I have worked at middle schools, which is probably my favorite age group to work with. And then, of course, as part of being the director of behavioral health, help out with the camps that we have here at FACT, Camp TAG, specifically with the virtual camps. So I get an opportunity to work with a spectrum of students with that, as well with our teen retreat. I've worked at college in the past, so I have a wide experience working with students of all different ages. Well, we appreciate all that you do for FACT, and especially with our kids, we always hear how much they love you. That's so sweet. They're all a blast to work with. We have a great community of kids here. I agree, but I'm a little biased. So now today we're focusing on students entering middle or high school. Can you help listeners understand why mental health in this age group is just so important that we need to be exploring it today? Yeah, I think this is a really important question because I've seen the spectrum of parents that 
are really active in their child's mental health journey and their own mental health journey. You know, and I've also seen families, including my own family, that still really carry that stigma around mental health issues. So no matter where you find yourself, if you still kind of feel like maybe you're from a family that has carried a stigma around mental health, or you might yourself still carry that, I think it's important to kind of dive into why it's a necessary conversation. And I've been really happy just as a person that works in the mental health field, see the conversation become more increasing over the last year or two with the pandemic. But the CDC has put out information that says that mental health issues among our children and our teens was actually on the rise even before the pandemic. A lot of mental health issues were brought to light during the pandemic because there was a lot of solitude, isolation going on, which of course can increase symptoms of maybe depression and loneliness. But in the fall, before the pandemic hit us in 2020, mental health issues were on the rise and they continue to be an issue now across the country more funding is going to mental health services within the schools. Again, um, for those of you that don't know, I work in a school in New Jersey. New Jersey was given a grant to expand their mental health services. Specifically, I'm a school psychologist across the nation. There was recently a bill to increase mental health services throughout schools across the nation in general, specifically school psychologists being in more schools so that mental health services can be broader you know, a really fascinating fact, even the district that I work at right now, over the last year has added another position that specifically is just going to service kids that have more severe mental health issues. So I think that that's great. Nationally, there's been a recognition that this is a need. But beyond just the recognition of it, there's statistics to back it up. So I'm just going to give you some quick facts. According to the Coalition to Support Grieving Students, Death by suicide is the third leading cause of death in children ages 10 to 14 and the second leading cause of death in children 15 to 19. Close to one in five high school students have considered suicide and two to 6% of those students have actually attempted it. I know that when we think mental health, we might think anxiety, mental health, we might not immediately jump to suicide, but that's important to talk about too, because it's a lot more common than we think. And the, the amount of children and teens contemplating suicide is a lot higher than one might also think and could potentially be triggering to those listening or just, you know, shocking. But that's why we really need to take mental health seriously because a lot of us don't even know could be our own children. It could be our children's friends could be in this spot where they themselves are contemplating it. And recent studies indicate that approximately one in five teens between ages 12 and 18, which is specifically the age group that we're talking about today, suffer from at least one diagnosable mental health disorder. And again, like I said, these statistics aren't being pulled out of thin air. The Journal of Abnormal Psychology in 2019, which was before the pandemic, was indicating the teen mental health crisis was continuing to grow. So this is something that has been brought to light over the course of the pandemic, but it's important for us to continue to explore because now that we know that it exists, it's up to us as parents or people that maybe work in a school or work with children on the day-to-day, bring it up. We'll get into where these students are developmentally. So we might not expect a 12-year-old student to be able to come to us with their problem. So it's going to be up to us to start a lot of these conversations with our children or with our students so that they can feel comfortable to share. Because just because a child or a teen has a mental health issue, it doesn't mean intervention can't happen. It doesn't mean that they can't get back to a place 
where they're content or that they've overcome this mental health issue, they certainly can with the right intervention and the right help. But we want to talk about mental health essentially all the time and hopefully even before our child is affected by mental health issues. These statistics are so sobering and so amazing, but in the same breath, that's why I'm so happy we're having this discussion right now. When I was younger, I'm in my 50s now, this was a topic that was not even existent, or if it was existent, my family chose not to speak about it. So to me, this is scary, but also very inspiring because we do have tools. 100% we do. So you just mentioned what's taking place developmentally. So let's dive right into that with our discussion today. What is taking place developmentally actually in these middle school years? Like as parents, how can people prepare our middle school age kids for school this fall? That's a great question. And one that's kind of overlooked. As all children grow, there's physical milestones, cognitive milestones, language milestones, and social and emotional milestones. So when it comes to middle school, middle school students, the physical milestones are probably what we're most familiar with. Middle school students can tend to be a little less coordinated because their height and weight are changing quickly. They're having some uneven development. They might be growing a lot, but cognitively they're not catching up. There's body growth, there's brain growth. Their fine motor and gross motor skills are getting better as they join teams and team sports. Those kind of developmental milestones we might be familiar with. The middle school growth spurt, the beginning of puberty. But I really want to touch today on the cognitive milestones as well as the social emotional milestones because this kind of has the greatest effect on mental health. So when it comes to middle school students, for their cognitive milestones, they're going to start developing problem-solving skills. They're going to be paying more attention to their decision-making and their ability to actually organize ideas, time manage that's going to get better. They start to understand concepts that are more abstract, like power and influence. And they're going to be able to question things. You know, our children, we have students that are in elementary school. A lot of the time, they're just going to take what we say at face value, right? If we give them a simple answer, that's going to be good enough for their why questions. Middle school students are going to start to question things. They might start to question authority and they're not going to take everything at face value. On the flip side, something positive about their cognitive milestone is they're going to start to think about how their current actions might affect their future. So they're going to develop that ability. They're going to be able to memorize information more easily, and they're going to actually start to develop flexible thinking skills. They might be able to change their approach if something's not working. And that flexible thinking is a later developed executive functioning skill that we're going to start to see. And then they're going to start to develop their own worldview and basic set of values. So this can be really exciting for families, especially families that might be imparting different moral wisdom or values, they're going to start to create their own. And that could come from the values of the family unit or the different life experiences they have, but they're going to start to develop their own unique worldview. And then for the social and emotional milestones, again, we might be familiar with some of these, but they're going to struggle to fit in in middle school as they look for ways to be a unique individual. It's not uncommon for middle schoolers to fall to peer pressure a little bit more because they're trying to be like others. Trouble with bullying and cyberbullying tends to be common in the middle school years. Middle schoolers are more sensitive to other people's opinions and reactions. Middle schoolers have the perspective that the whole world might be watching them. They don't have the wherewithal yet to know that not everybody's thinking about what they're doing and 
all the time and judging them. They're going to start to develop a sense of pride and accomplishments, and they're going to start to be aware of their challenges. And this is really important because, again, in the middle school population, we're seeing an increase in mental health issues. So even though there's going to be pride for what they can do well, middle school students start to become keenly aware of what their challenges and weaknesses are. They might be more apt to keep secrets. And on the flip side, you know, another positive thing is they're going to have better awareness of what's appropriate to say in conversation. There's going to be that deep need to have a little bit more privacy. Moodiness might come out. And in general, middle schoolers might experiment with trying on different quote unquote personalities to try to figure out where they fit in. They want to be like others, but they want to be very unique individual. And then it's important to remember that middle schoolers are going to develop at different rates. If your child hasn't hit these kind of milestones yet, it might not be that concerning yet. Girls are going to largely develop at a faster rate than boys, especially on these cognitive or social emotional milestones. But again, it's unique to the child. But these are an overall of what we would expect for a middle school student. So based on this conversation and this amazing amount of information you just shared with us, do you have a top tip or two that you can share with parents or caregivers of middle school students? Yeah. So my top tip would be to praise often, especially as your child becomes more interested in trying new things. Maybe it's a new sport. I can even think back to when I was in middle school. My parents had enrolled my sister and I both in karate. And my sister loved karate. She continued to do it into high school. And in middle school, suddenly, I didn't want anything to do with it. I asked my parents if I could start playing tennis. I wanted to do theater. And my parents did a great job of, even though they were surprised I wanted to change my hobbies all of a sudden, they were really supportive in letting me do that. So I know that's kind of a small example. And you might have kids that love karate, right? But we're trying to find, as a middle school student, they're trying to find their own identity, their new hobbies, or their new interests, or they might copying what a friend's interested in, that's okay. Praise their curiosity, praise them being willing to try something new, and give them that positive reinforcement that's really specific, or I love how you're so curious about XYZ thing. It, you know, rather than just saying good job, or that's so nice, get specific in the way that you praise your middle school students. And then secondly, just in the realm of mental health, remember to check in with them where they're feeling, but they might not be honest with you. So I would suggest to parents of middle school students, provide a nonverbal method of checking in, whether that's they can put a note in a jar, or they can text it to you, or if you have one of those really nice chalkboards or whiteboards in your kitchen or your laundry room, you know, they could draw this emotion that they're feeling that day, whether that's a frowny face or a smiley face and make it kind of fun and interactive like that in a nonverbal way that they can check in with you if they're not ready to kind of share with you verbally in a sit down kind of high pressure environment. Okay. I want to use that as an adult. I love that. Walk in the house, have your little chalkboard. I love that. Yeah. I Listen, I've done it myself. I think it's perfect. I think it's really fun. So now let's turn to high school. There's so much taking place in that age group as well. And if you can go ahead and explain to us what's taking place developmentally, but also can you talk about the differences between a ninth grader and a 12th grader? I remember back to my children that those are two different humans. A hundred percent. And you know, when we touched on middle school, I mentioned that students do develop at widely varied rates. But in high school, we're going to expect that development to take off. But you're right. 
tweens turn high school students and when high school students are at the end of high school, they're turning into adults, right? So there is going to be a huge difference between say our freshmen and our senior students. So again, the physical milestones for those that are turning in, I'm assuming that that's probably going to be what we know about. The difference in growth between boys and girls at this age is very noticeable. By the end of high school, many girls are likely to have grown as tall as they're going to be. But boys, on the other hand, are still growing. They're still gaining muscle. So there's a huge difference there. Typically, we know high schoolers, they're going to have a bigger appetite. There's going to be a need for more sleep as they continue to develop and grow. That's similar to middle school. They're going to be learning to drive. So you know, there's a visual spatial coordination that develops at this age, the ability to judge distance and speed to react quickly. So those are kind of physically what's happening. But then again, I'm going to touch mostly on the cognitive and social emotional milestones. In that mid and specifically the late teenage years, so think more your 11th and 12th graders, they're going to start to think not just about their own lives, but more about how the whole world works. And this change is a gradual process. So again, Caroline, to circle back to your point, this isn't something that we are going to expect. Okay, you're ninth grade, you're starting to think about outside your own realm of your world. This change we're going to see gradually across high school. There's going to be an, an increased ability to reason, make educated guesses. And then, you know, high school students begin to think really abstractly. So instead of just seeing what is, they're also going to see what could be. And that's a big thing. They're going to be able to think more about hypothetical situations and be able to plan ahead. Again, this kind of circles back to these executive functioning skills I, I mentioned really briefly. Executive functioning skills, just to define it real quick for you since I've said it, it's a process that enables us to plan, focus our intention, to remember instructions, and to do multiple tasks successfully. And it's a skill. So it's not necessarily learned. All executive functioning skills are not created equally. Executive functioning skills are housed at the front of the brain and the frontal lobe. It's the last to develop in utero and it's the last to develop as a human. Typically, our frontal lobe is not fully developed till age 25 and for some people even later. So when we ask our middle school and high school students to time manage, to organize, to remember, to be flexible, to self-control, they actually haven't developed all these skills yet. But when we're talking late high school, a lot of these skills are going to start to get close to fully formed. So high school students are going to be able to control themselves a little bit better to set priority and actually procrastinate less or just really be driven to initiate tasks. And then really importantly to that late high school is the ability to think about what you're thinking, which is called metacognition. That's a late developing executive functioning skill. And then social emotionally for that 14, 15 year old, that early high school student, we talked about it starting to begin to develop in middle school, but when they're 14 and 15, they're really going to be able to recognize their personal strengths and challenges, and they might start to be embarrassed by things they can't do well. They're going to really hunger for that independence, but they still might carry on some of that middle school self-centeredness and moodiness. By the time they're 16 to 18, you know, exiting high school, becoming a young adult, they're going to start to see their parents as real people. They're really at this point developing a sense of who they are and the positive things that they can contribute to friendships, to relationships and the world. And they're going to be able to voice emotions by this point. So I know you're hearing me say 16 to 18 is when they're able to voice emotions. We want to develop that skill way earlier than that. By 16 to 18, that's when 
they're able to develop the ability to think about what they're thinking about. So the ability to really understand emotions is going to start to be fully formed by this time. We're going to have to do less walking through, less helping, naming emotions and exploring them. When they're 16 to 18, they're going to have a really good idea of what different emotions truly mean. This is such a complicated time. The teenage brain just baffles me. But in the same breath, all of this information and research that's come to fruition, to me, kind of makes it, I don't want to say easier, but much more relatable as a parent or caregiver. You know, Caroline, I think it does because, you know, a lot of this stuff, and you touched on it, a lot of the times once parents see their kids hit the early milestones, talking, walking, right? you know, being able to be coordinated with throwing a ball, we don't often refer back to what is the expectation for a middle school and high school student. And quite honestly, this can lead us to sometimes expect too much from a middle school and high school student, or even an elementary student when we accept them to be able to time manage, right, be punctual, or to remember things or to think deeply about what they're learning about or think deeply about the lessons that we've taught them, but this skill really is not fully developed. So we have to continue to assist them in these things. And then hopefully by the time that we're sending them off to college, they're getting very close to developing these skills uh, fully formed. Now, knowing what we know with the information you just shared with us, how can we best prepare this age group to mentally start high school? And then even during the year, you know, when they go from ninth grade to 10th grade, 10th grade to 11th grade and so on. That's a great question. I think it harkens back to what I was just saying about sometimes we don't have the accurate expectation of our children or our students. Start each year essentially over again re-go over the expectations, re-go over what the day will look like, and set goals with your students. Middle school and high school students, we touched about how they're going to be looking to the future. They're going to be able to compare not only what is, but they're going to start to think about what could be. This is a great time to start developing goal setting. And especially as middle school students look to high school, high school students look to college or the workforce, No, they might not have a full grasp of what they want to do, what they want to be, who they want to be, but we can start setting small, measurable, attainable goals. And that could just be make one new friend, or it could be try a new hobby. And this can be something that you can make exciting. So to get started into the new year, have your child pick two goals, maybe one academic goal, one social goal, right? And especially as we talk about mental health, being involved in something or having an activity, even if it's a video game club that the high school offers, just actively being engaged in something is such a protective factor towards developing a more serious mental health issue, or it's a protective factor to depression if you have a circle of friends. So prepare them by thinking, what do they want out of this year? And again, it can be simple because we don't want to overwhelm with thinking big long-term goals or or put too much pressure on our child and have their goal be get a 4.0, right? Or those are certainly great things to attain to. But let's part that back a little bit and think, what are two goals that would be reasonable, attainable, and exciting that will get my student ready, that'll get my student excited for the year that's ahead of them? Thank you so much, Emery, for this information. 
But once again, our time together is coming to the end. So do you have anything else you would like our listeners to hear from you before we wrap up today? So we spent today kind of covering a a couple different things. The rise of mental health issues among middle school and high school students. And we also talked about the expectations that we have for our students in middle school and high school and really what developmentally is taking place. So I just kind of want to remind everybody that's listening, the onus is on us to bring these topics up. And we want to bring these topics up sooner rather than later. It's a common misconception that bringing up depression or anxiety or even suicide might plant an idea in somebody's head. So, you know, just to use an example, it's a common misnomer that if a child might be thinking about suicide, if we ask them about it, that might make the idea stronger. That's not the case. It's actually shown that it's the opposite because somebody's checking in and somebody's caring. So it's not going to increase the likelihood that it happens. So don't be afraid of having these conversations with your child because you think it might make depression worse or it might give them an idea or it may incite anxiety. If they're broached with love and compassion, the way that I know that our listeners would do that, it can actually prevent to a certain extent serious mental health issues because if you know that your child is beginning to have thoughts of loneliness or sadness, you can get them the help right before it becomes full-blown depression. Or on the flip side, it can act as a protective factor to prevent more severe issue because having a loving family and a supportive community is actually a protective factor. So if you can provide that safe space for your child to feel the feelings that they feel, to feel validated in what they're going through, because we know that middle school and high school, they're tough times. So if you can be that loving support that's there, even if your child says they don't need you, there will be a time that they do. So don't be afraid to have those conversations. I think we take it for granted that our kids really just need that support. And I think sometimes we also think that we have to be very knowledgeable in the area of mental health. But everything I'm hearing from you today is just really solid advice, but it's all fueled by this love we have for our children. That's right. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Emery. We really appreciate your time and look forward to again having you back on the show soon. Thank you so much, Caroline. Before we say goodbye, I just want to take a moment to say thank you once again to the National Peanut Board for sponsoring today's highly informative show. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.